When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome in to another episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. I'm Chris Mack of 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh and The Fan Morning Show. This is Odyssey's uh, two or three times, twice or thrice weekly uh, look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, yeah, on a week like this one, you may not want to look at them more than once, but here they are. Blowing another lead to the Red Wings, much like they did way back in December when Casey DeSmith was in net, and they blew a four-goal lead. Uh, they didn't blow a lead, I guess, in this instance. They blew a comeback. They were down 3 nothing, and then they tied it up, and then DeSmith peed down the side of his leg. Not literally, because that would be gross and would leave a big yellow puddle on the ice, but figuratively, that's what he did, giving up two soft, that's soft, S-A-W-W-W-W-W-W-F-T goals to David Perron. Uh, well, three to David Perron in the third period, but only the latter two. Uh, were really soft, S-A-W-W-W-W-W-F-T, and costing the Penguins a game in which they, to be honest, were outplayed, which is maybe the the low, the under-the-radar, low-key, saddest part of this. Like, we've become accustomed to the fact that Casey DeSmith can play a good 30 or 40 minutes when called upon to do so, but then inevitably has a stinker 20 or 30 in them on the same night as well. Much like Saturday against Washington, right? Right. You see what I'm saying? Uh, And we got the same. And that shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us is that the Pittsburgh Penguins went out there on Tuesday night at Little Caesars Arena in Detroit. Pizza, pizza. Great $5. We used to get $5 Little Caesars pizzas, by the way, at Kmart in Pleasant Hills. Um. And back when I was a kid, there was a Little Caesars right on Brownsville Road in Carrick, right before you got to Iron and Glass Bank into Brentwood, which is where we'd go to get on the bus to go to the mall. Don't worry, more old man stories coming later with Andrew Destin of the Post-Gazette, who covers the pens for them. He went to Penn State, and so did I, but he went 20 years after I did, so I'm going to embarrass myself by quizzing him on places that don't exist anymore. Anyway, back to Little Caesars Arena, pizza, pizza, and the Detroit Red Wings beating the Pittsburgh Penguins, going out to a 3-0 lead. Huh? In the first period. And Mike Sullivan not doing much, really, except reconfiguring his lines to get not dominated, but handled at even strength, puck possession-wise. You look at all the metrics. Gensel Crosby-Rust, 
Mucker, 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 Zalkin, and Raquel. Uh, O'Connor, Carter, and Archibald were the only line that ended up with positive possession metrics. Uh, Heinen, Paling, and Granlund. And here's the key. When Heinen and Paling were playing so well, think of that goal that Paling scored against the Caps on Saturday, right? That was done because they were on the ice with Raquel and playing really well with Ricard Raquel, who is one of the keys to this season alongside Jason Zucker, or Mulker, as I called him a couple minutes ago. Um, without Zucker and Raquel, I don't know where they'd be. I mean, Evgeny Malkin would be without a pair of line mates most nights, but I also don't know where this team would be because those two guys have been huge. Anyway, before the game, asked by Dan Potash, my buddy Danny Popo of AT&T Sportsnet, Mike Sullivan said, yeah, you know, we, we like the way Ricard Raquel can provide kind of instant offense wherever he is in the lineup. He's talented that way. And he was on the third line on Saturday against the Capitals and for about two minutes of even strength time on Tuesday against the Red Wings at Little Caesars Arena. Pizza, pizza, $5. Carrick, Brownsville Road. Uh, and then all of a sudden Raquel was playing with Mooker and Zalkin again. Yeah, I'm going to keep that up. And they didn't play exceedingly well together. On the power play, they looked nice, sure. But even strength, not so good. And so why wasn't Raquel put back down there with the third line with Heinen and Paling to help those guys out? And perhaps Granlin would give a little shot in the arm to Zucker and Malkin or Mooker and Zalkin, either pair. Uh, or maybe, heck, put Granlund up there, if you're going to insist on him being in the lineup, put Granlund up there with Gensel and Crosby. He's a playmaker, right? Let him make plays, as Mike Sullivan likes to say, and put Rust on the second line with Mooker and Zalkin. Yes, keeping it up. Uh, whatever you do, be ready to shuffle lines, Mike Sullivan. He didn't seem ready to do that, really, on Tuesday in Detroit. He's going to have to be ready to do it if this team wants to go anywhere, should they get to the playoffs. By the way, since we're speaking of shuffling lines, and who should be on the first line or second line or who should be on the right wing with who, Alex Nylander needs to be in the lineup. Not sure what's going on there now that I think salary cap concerns and injury concerns are not limiting whether he could be on the roster and playing on any given night. Not sure what we're doing there. I guess Danton Heinen is the answer. I like Danton Heinen. Good guy. Easy to talk to. Gritty. Tough. Mucker. Grinder. Playoff style guy. On a fourth line. I don't know about on a third line. I wouldn't mind a fourth line of like, I don't know, Heinen, O'Connor, and uh, I don't know, Archibald in the playoffs. Yeah, put your card in the press box. I know, I know, I know. It's disrespectful. Hmm. Too bad. If you're not playing well, get off the ice. Oh, he's he's playing well lately? Great. Thanks for showing up this year, Jeff. Anyway, uh, back to Little Caesars Arena. Pizza, pizza. Uh, the Pens lost to the Wings, and they've got to figure things out quickly because uh, while the schedule is soft down the stretch, it isn't immediately. They're going to face a Nashville Predators team that is still trying to chase down a playoff spot with just nine games left and only three points back of the Winnipeg Jets. Then they're going to face the Bruins. Again, you got you to gotta say it like Bob Airy. He does the best job of saying it. Bruins on Saturday before the Flyers uh, show up on Sunday. All of this is an easier way of saying they got to win uh, than they must win. They got to win. Uh, and at this point, as our intrepid producer Greg Finley told me a few moments ago, this team is driving me loopy, batty. Uh, all of it. And so let's bring in somebody else to give their opinion. We'll talk to Andrew Destin of the Post-Gazette in just a couple of minutes. But first, my buddy Tango, Eric Tangrady, former Pittsburgh Penguin, joins me next here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Pizza Pizza.
time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in. It's another edition of 5th Avenue Faceoff. Odyssey's Pittsburgh Penguins podcast. I'm Chris Mack from 93.7 The Fan in Pittsburgh and The Fan Morning Show. He's Eric Tangrady, and we are here to lead you through... I've got the sniffles, not just because my kids are sick. Tango's kids are sick. Everybody's sick this time of year. Um, but uh, the sniffles may be more about after watching the the, the Red Wings game last night. I'm, I'm near tears. Eric, Eric Tangrady, former Pittsburgh Penguin, with me here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. And, man, I don't know where to start another one, but... Uh, let's well, let's let's start in the most difficult place, I guess, to start with this team, which is between the pipes. Um, here's the problem: no one played well for this team last night. We were texting each other about it last night, but Casey DeSmith picked the worst possible time to melt down in the third period and give up two softies, in my opinion, anyway, to David Perron for his second and third goals. Um, just again. Not a great effort overall, but that's when you need your goaltender to perhaps stand tall for you, and he didn't in the clutch. Yeah, well, leading into this segment, you you said the word start uh, a couple times. Where do we start? Where do we start? And that has just been the problem with this team is the starts, the starts, the starts, the starts. I mean, how, you know, come out in the first period and give up three goals, you know, in 87, six, seven minutes uh, on the road. Like you talk about trying to dictate uh, an identity um, that game probably shouldn't even have been a game after the, that type of start. You play against good type hockey teams that could put you away in that situation, like the Columbus game, this game. It, you're right. Like to, to, to put it all on the goaltender, we discussed, like, you know, we didn't feel like this was totally on Casey DeSmith. But when you get back in the hockey game and you need a big save here, a big save there, um, to not have that, it almost you could you could feel it watching the game. Like, all right, this thing's now this thing is now over, uh, and that's just been a part that's been lacking a lot lately. Yeah, and, and it's tough because you're at a point in the season. I really thought going into last night's game, and this is what I get for assuming, especially with this team, uh, because you can't assume anything. Everything's a crapshoot from period to period, sometimes shift to shift. But I really thought this set up nicely where. Smith could play against the Red Wings. If he played well enough, you send him against Nashville again while Jari gets as close to 100% as possible. And then even let the Smith play against Boston on Saturday. Get an idea if he's ready for that test because it's looking more and more likely that's who you're going to play in the first round. And then let Jari sort of ease back into things against Philly on Sunday. I think that plan's kind of ripped up and out the window if Jari's healthy enough to go against Nashville. Certainly if he's healthy enough to go this weekend, I, I think I'd prefer to see him against Boston. Now, I don't even know what to make of the goaltending situation anymore, Eric. It's it's all over the map. And when one guy's, I don't want to say never healthy, that's not fair to Tristan Jari, but not healthy often enough. And the other guy it, it plays 40 quality minutes a night. It's, it's tough to figure out what your situation is going to be going into game one. Yeah, I think at this point, we probably we are defining the word insanity where we can never assume anything when we look at this schedule. How many times have we looked back at the schedule and assumed like this will be a great opportunity for this or this will be a great opportunity for that? Like this team has played such good hockey for, you know, four, four days 
And then to go and, and have a performance like last night, I think is very discouraging, probably more so for them as because they're the players and they're the team. Um, but yeah, when you look at this week, like, okay, we got, you know, two games, Red Wings, Nashville, one on the road, one at home, pretty simple s- standard schedule this time of year, like lots of time rest, no excuses. And then to go put that effort forward, like I'm, I'm at a loss for words at this point, like you're absolutely right. Like this would be a great opportunity to build confidence and get moving forward and start thinking playoffs and then boom, that happens. And sitting here on Wednesday, like now what, now what's the plan? What is like? We, we, we looked at what's the plan for management? What's the plan for, man, plan from coaching to players? Like, it just seems very scattered right now. Well, and you talk about opportunities. Yeah, it looked like an opportunity this week in the way the schedule set up to get you to bank some points, but also find out a little bit something about yourself on Saturday afternoon. Now it's really becoming, granted, I think you've got two games against playoff teams left on the schedule, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, two. Uh, Boston Saturday. And then the following Tuesday, you go to Newark to play the Devils. Oh, and, and Minnesota the following game. So three. Um, but other than that, I mean, you've got another one against the Red Wings, another two against the Flyers left, Blackhawks, Jackets. I mean, you should be stacking points, building yourself up for the playoff run. But you can't even look at that as an opportunity anymore. That's another word we got to kind of throw out the window is opportunity because this team can't figure it out at all. It, it, it starts in net and then it filters out to the other 200 feet. And, and you brought it up. Like they give up three goals to Detroit in five minutes and four seconds of the first period. They've blown multiple four goal leads this year, including one earlier this year to Detroit. There's uh going down four, nothing to Columbus. You mentioned that before coming storming back to win five, nothing. Who do we start to put this on the wild inconsistencies especially with a team that's supposed to have such firm leadership. And you look at Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Sullivan. I mean, a, a whole bunch of other veterans on the squad, Dumal and Carter. Granted, those are some of the guys who haven't played well this year, but there's enough veterans on this team that I, I, there shouldn't be any vacuum of leadership at this point, but it feels rudderless some nights. Yeah, and that's I think that is the scariest part of all of this. When you look at the way teams start, that a lot is on coaching. Uh, you talk about coaches all the time. They'll talk about, oh, we played a good game. We didn't. We deserved a win. We didn't like, oh, players not being prepared to play. How many times you heard a coach say, like, that's on me, right? And there's just been a lot of times where it feels like the players aren't prepared to play, and I don't know what that is. Like, if history repeats itself, like, they – lose to Nashville and then they play the best game of the season against Boston and win. And then we're sitting here again of like, what is the team's identity? Um, and that I think is the million dollar question that has perplexed a lot of Penguins fans throughout the season thus far. And, and to this point of like, we are so used to, yeah, there's ups and downs in the season. There's rivalry games. You win some, you lose some, but there's always been an identity in Pittsburgh. And I think that's something that's just lacking right now. Like, what is that identity? That's the scary part is that if they were just playing bad all the time, it would be easy to just write them off and say, oh, well, they're old and they're not good anymore. And, you know, you see responses like that on Twitter from time to time. Oh, they just stink. But then they do. They play a quality game. You almost expect them to come back home, play well against Nashville, and then really put up a decent fight against Boston. Like you, But again, you can't allow yourself to expect anything with this team. So I, I sent you a clip earlier and I I want people to hear it as well 
Um, it's Rick Bonus of the Winnipeg Jets. Now, the Winnipeg Jets are in a very similar position standings-wise to where the Penguins are. They're in eighth place in the Western Conference. They are slipping and sliding and struggling. They are just two points ahead of the Flames, three points ahead of the Predators in that Western Conference playoff race. But Rick Bonus was asked about their latest subpar effort and basically gave it to his team and said, it's it's not good enough. I'm going to go ahead and play it, and we'll make sure the sound quality is better once we put it in uh, post uh, here on the podcast. The inconsistencies of some of our players uh, is hurting us. Um, you know, some of these guys think they're giving us everything in their tank. They're dreaming. Um, so we got a lot of guys in there giving us everything they can, and we just need a few more guys to jump on board. It's not over. We're still in eighth spot, and uh, we're going to find out what we're made of over the next little while. Again, that's Rick Bonus. Thanks to TSN for the audio. The inconsistencies, he says, that's what's killing them. A lot of guys are giving their all, but there's a few that aren't. It's it's funny to me, not funny, but it's interesting to me that you've got two veteran head coaches in the eighth spot in each conference sort of managing things very differently um, when their teams disappoint. You know, that's something I would have loved to have heard Mike Sullivan say after the loss in Detroit to say, hey, we know a lot of our guys are busting their ass every single night and doing everything they can, but we need absolutely everybody to be on board and pulling in the same direction. And some nights, not everybody is. Um, I've had some people argue with me that he'd lose the room if he did that. I think a, a, a guy as veteran as Sullivan doesn't have to risk that necessarily. I don't know. As as a former player, do you what's your take on what Bonus said last night in Winnipeg and what the way Mike Sullivan has handled it when his team has given subpar efforts this year? Yeah, it's a it's a very slippery slope. Um, you know, all the reports out of Winnipeg is, you know, they're going to dismantle their core and they're going to start moving pieces this summer and blow the whole thing up like uh, as a fan base like that's kind of what you want to hear. There's some guidance, some direction of like, mm-hmm. okay, if you've promised us that this is a results-oriented business and the results aren't there, well, then changes need to be made. Um, that's an exciting thing to hear. At the same time, when you look at the business part of it, if you have a generational franchise-type player and you're going in, because I, I think he's referring to Mark Shifley because he's been benched and he's been not performing lately, if you're sitting in a room and you're paying Mark Shifley $8 million a year and it comes down to Rick Bonus, the coach, or Mark Shifley, your franchise generational player, more than likely the coach is getting fired in that situation. So it's a very slippery slope for a coach to take that risk on and call out his team because more times than not, history has shown that coaches are the first one to go, not players. So right. I do respect the fact that he is trying to use that as a way to I think fire up his team and and make aware maybe some of the egos in the room that need to be told, like what you think is good enough is not. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I feel like that is pretty detrimental for their locker room when those types of players are the ones wearing the A's and, and, and are in that leadership group. So uh, the perspective there, like Sullivan, I have to think he's probably more of a closed door type of guy. Doesn't like to show his cards as, as most of his interviews kind of indicate. And he's saying those things, but it is a very slippery slope when you start calling out your top guys. 
Well, that makes me question. Like, so to your point, I guess if bonus knows that somebody's got to go after this year, right? You talk about the restructuring that's going to come in Winnipeg this year. Um, even if they make the playoffs, perhaps that happens. You know, maybe they get bounced in in four games in the first round uh, by uh, either Minnesota or I would presume it'd be Vegas, maybe LA if they catch the, the Golden Knights. But let's assume they get bounced in the first round, five games maybe. Bonus is gone. Uh, Shifley, maybe they start to rearrange the, the, the personnel chairs as well and players start to go as well. Maybe Bonus is looking at it as, hey, I know I'm done after this year anyway, so I'm going to tell these guys what I really think. With a coach like Sullivan, then, are you telling me he can't risk being put in that position or that he doesn't expect to be in that position? Because a lot of fans would tell you, hey, if this team somehow misses the playoffs, yeah, it's on Hextall, yeah, it's on whoever you want to put it on above Mike Sullivan, and yeah, Mike Sullivan may walk out the door and get a new job in five minutes somewhere else around the league, but Somebody's got to pay the price, and Sullivan should be a part of that if this core somehow misses the playoffs. Um, do you think Sullivan looks at it that way, or does he feel almost too secure in his role? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different aspects. Pride, probably one of them, too, right? Like, this is it's in bonus situation, like you said, like it's not me, it's the players. Um, it, it, for, for Sullivan, yeah, is he someone that probably takes pride in being the coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins? And this is all speculation. If he hasn't said anything, yeah, there's definitely a job security risk involved of once you call out your players in public, you can't take that back for, for the remainder of your tenure. Um, right. I, I think, you know, we would have loved to hear it at one point or another, like our goaltenders need to be better. This, this, this mindset of, you know, we're a team, we win as a team, we lose. Everybody knows that. Like, you know, yeah. you don't have to tell your players when you're in the locker room. Like if you're, if your coach doesn't need to say that in the media. He knows that you win and lose the team. As a player, you know, you win and lose as a team. But sometimes uh, I, I think a message of our goaltending needs to be better. As a player, it's like, holy crap, I need to help my, my, my brother out. I'm going to play better sound defensively because coach just called him out. It's not going right. to be a negative in the sense of like, oh, I'm doing my part. and He stinks. Like, no. He called our goalie out. Let's be a band of brothers and let's play better defensively and let's let's show the world that it's not just on him. I, I think that message would actually go pretty far. But uh, the job security thing, I think, is always in the back of the mind uh, of people in this industry. Do you think he's safe if they miss the playoffs? I get the sense that he's not going anywhere. I don't I want to say he's at Mike Tomlin level yet where he gets to decide when he's done because I think every NHL head coach has a shelf life regardless of how many cups they've got. But um, this would be five straight years with either a first-round exit or if they miss the playoffs, um, five straight years without even getting to the second round, I guess I should say. Um, is there any chance that Mike Sullivan's out after this year? That's a tough one. I, I would say I think management would probably likely go before coaching goes. That's just my personal opinion. Now, yeah. that would be – possibly if we're talking job security is that the move management makes to spark up the sense of like this will buy us some more time in the organization this is a kind of our our, our scapegoat or our way to show that we're trying to make improvements mm-hmm. in our and we're not satisfied with the status quo like but I, I see i think management is more vulnerable as coaching and then also there may be a dynamic this summer where they present to, to, to Sullivan, like, we're going to go through a rebuild. Do you want to be a part of something like that? You have had such success as a hockey coach. Like, do you, on a personal level, want to be someone who leads our uh, our 
rebuild. Now, Babcock and him are two totally different coaches. I have a ton of respect for Mike Sullivan, the way he handles the players, how professional he is. I think Babcock is not bad at all. But you saw the second the Red Wings went through a rebuild, boom, see you later, give me my money, and I'm going to Toronto. I, I, I can see Sullivan as someone maybe taking pride in that new challenge, but that is something that I could also see leading to his exit. Well, how do you think, and I've wondered about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, but how do you think Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang would react if Sullivan were fired? Because I, you know, there's only two years left on Sidney Crosby's deal. He, I, I, I believe anyway, he really enjoys playing for Mike Sullivan because Mike Sullivan lets him exert his his influence over the team the way he wants to, which is via his style of play. Um, I, after going through what he went through with Mike Johnston, I don't think Sidney Crosby's necessarily excited about having to break in not just a new group of youngsters around him. That he may get sort of some rejuvenation out of, right? Like Tom Brady going off to Tampa Bay. And I think Sid could play until he's 44, 45 years old if he really wants to because of how well he takes care of himself like Tom Brady. Um but it, I don't know if he necessarily has an excitement level for breaking in a new coach again. Yeah, and, and I think he's one of the few players in the league that actually has a seat at the table for that discussion. Um, there's not many players in this league right now that can probably have conversations with management, even ownership, um, to discuss his opinion and actually have his value. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think you know Sid's leadership and his relationship with Sullivan has been a perfect marriage. Um, they've had success. They've had ups. They've had downs. I don't, you know, envision Sid probably wanting him to go anywhere. But again, rebuild definitely puts Crosby the player and Mike Sullivan the coach in a definitely in a vulnerable position where they probably never envisioned not being a team that's going to compete. But the reality is with the cap, draft capital, all those other things, I don't know what direction they can head that's going to satisfy all the pieces involved. Tango, before I let you run, two with Tango. Um, I, I just got to thinking about this because we were commiserating about our kids being sick. Um, and I got to thinking about like how hard it must be as a team to travel when one guy gets sick. Like one guy gets the flu and you're out on like a, a three-game, seven-day road trip out west or something. Like I remember the mumps. You remember the mumps outbreak here oh, Pittsburgh, yeah. you know, yeah. around the league in 2014, I think it was. Um, I think you were in Montreal or Hamilton then. Um, but I just remember how crazy it was. Like people weren't allowed in the locker room. Media people were being told to stay home because they thought they had. I mean, and, and it was kind of like a weird precursor to COVID. But um, just how hard is it to, to, to keep guys healthy? And what lengths do guys go to when one guy gets sick on a team? Yeah, it's it's brutal. I mean, we we were discussing our kids basically being like these cesspools in a classroom. Yeah. <laughs> Little balls about, of disease. <laughs> yeah, you talk about your teammates being stuffed in a plane, then go onto a bus, into a right. locker room, drinking the same bottles. Like, obviously, they have all the resources with nutrition and given IV fluids, but no, it's it's miserable. I mean, you you look at some of these trips you go on. Yes, you have your own hotel room, but when you're sick, regardless if you're five years old or twenty five years old you want your mom and you want to be in bed. And now, you know, now you're being told you got to go hang out at the rink. In I the need ginger ale and chicken soup. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, It's a lonely, lonely place. And it's, it's nearly impossible uh, to not have something spread amongst the team. And, and I'm sure they've had multiple instances where it starts with one kid's one guy's kid sick, gets him sick. He goes to the rink, the whole team gets sick. 
I think COVID has probably prepared uh, teams a lot more on how they do things. The NHL is a little bit easier because, as I mentioned, everyone gets their own hotel room. But in the minors, I'll never forget some of the days. And I was in Rockford, Illinois, uh, at, a, at a Courtyard Marriott with a stomach bug, just like literally, oh. like I said, screaming for my mommy as a 30-year-old kid, like, <laughs> somebody please help me. And all I was told by the coach was, you got to get on the bus at 1030 and we're driving seven and a half hours back to Grand Oh, Rapids. no. So, you know, you always remember your highs, but you certainly remember your lows and having a stomach bug on a coach bus for seven and a half hours is one of the lowest places I've ever been screaming again for, for, for my mom. <laughs> stomach bug on a coach bus in, in the middle of nowhere, Illinois, or a busted up leg on a rickety old plane somewhere in upper Mongolia. You have lived some wild spots that I still, I say this all the time. I have no idea how you've come back in one piece from it all, man, but you have. I got the strongest uh, immune system in, in Pennsylvania. <laughs> that's for sure. Mentally and physically I, I've seen it all, but no, I, I got a lot of great stories. It's just, it's so funny what this game will do to you. And unfortunately I'm sitting here being able to laugh about it at this point. And what you'll do for the game, right? Yeah, I mean, right. It, it, that, that's absolutely true. Well, Hey, nurse your crew back to health. I will do the same over here. And, uh, We'll, we'll get back together soon. Talk about where this team is headed is where, I mean, just about two weeks until the playoffs now, um, a, a little a little over two weeks. So I appreciate the insight today. A lot of tough conversations to have about this team internally for them, I'm sure. Glad we get to have them with you externally. Appreciate the time, Tango. Thanks, Chris. Love yep. as always. Great stuff from Eric Tangrady. As always, seven and a half hours on a bus from – Rockford to Grand Rapids with the stomach flu. His stomach flu is no joke. We didn't do an episode of Fifth Avenue Faceoff earlier in the week because my family was laid up. I was playing nurse. I was feverish and achy. Tango was taking care of his family as well. His kids are younger than mine, but just starting to get back on the horse here. Let's hope the Pens can get back on the horse with the Predators coming to town and then the Bruins. Got to say it like Bob Airy, the Bruins on Saturday. Uh, before they get the Flyers on Sunday. Interesting how they handle the goalie situation on that back-to-back this weekend. Interesting how Mike Sullivan continues to shuffle his lines. And I've got some hard questions for another former Penn Stater, Andrew Destin, who covers the Pens for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. We'll have some fun with him next, right here on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back into 5th Avenue Faceoff. Chris Mack and 93.7 The Fan. Hey, don't forget to follow the podcast, would ya? Inside your Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y, up in the upper right-hand corner, it says follow. It's that simple. You just tap on it. Bing! New episodes. You get notified when they're available. Uh, if you get it inside your Spotify or your Google or uh, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, follow, subscribe, whatever you got to do. Uh, leave a review if you wouldn't mind, preferably a, a quality one, uh, preferably a five-star review, maybe a rating, maybe just if you're feeling good about things, which you will after we talk to Andrew Destin of the Post-Gazette. He covers the Penguins, does a little bit of Pirates work for the PG as well. Uh He's a Penn State guy, so we are, um, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. So please, for all of you, Pitt, West Virginia, Ohio State, whatever, wherever, whatever your alma mater is, I'm sure most of you hate Penn State. That's okay. We're used to it. 
uh, for for you Penn Staters, um, we're going to have some fun at the end of this segment with Andrew because he's just a little bit younger than me. Uh, Andrew, when did you graduate from Penn State? Graduated last May, May 2022. Dear God. <laughs> so I'm 20 years older than you. Holy hell. All right. So I will quiz you in just a little bit on things that I remember from dear old state that I can almost guarantee weren't around by the time you were in your prime just a few short years ago. But let's talk about this hockey team. Speaking of not being in their prime, um, you were in Detroit for the game uh, Tuesday night, and it was ugly. And Casey DeSmith, look, I I don't want to say it wasn't his fault, because it was. (laughs) Giving up the goals to David Perron in the third period were ugly. But here we go again with, okay, the team didn't play exceedingly well in front of him. But I guess well enough that if you have a quality goaltender, he pulls your fat out of the fire in those moments in the third period, right? He doesn't melt down the way he did in the third period against Washington, the way he did in the third period last night. It's like we get 30 or 40 decent minutes out of Casey DeSmith when he's in there, which just isn't good enough. But unfortunately, that's all they've got right now because Tristan Jari's still working his way back. Is it too much to, A, ask Casey DeSmith to make those saves on Perron in the third period? And then, B, is it too much to ask him to get back in there Thursday against Nashville and maybe even Saturday against the Bruins? Well, it's kind of a – it's an interesting question because with Casey, from what I've been able to gather with him, is that when he's able to see the puck well, when he's on his game, he can be right up there with any goalie in the NHL, truly. I mean, he's shown it before. He's had those you know, excellent performances. The problem with him is that, you know, an undersized goalie is an undersized goalie, and you have to compensate with so much – and you look at some of the shots, the softies, like you were mentioning uh, with Eric. I mean, it, some of those are just ones that if you're a bigger body, if you're a bigger guy back there in net, you can overcompensate for not seeing the puck well or not moving as well maybe on a particular night uh, as you are moving from post to post. Uh, Casey did not have that benefit last night. And it is put on full display when he's not on his A game. And that right there is the exact reason. I think yesterday's game was a perfect example of why Coach Mike Sullivan has said time and time again that we need to get Tristan back healthy and why this team has you know, made Tristan the number one guy for these number of years is because when he's on his game, you know, it's not close. You know, he can overcompensate yeah. for some of that stuff with Casey. And um, in terms of just relying on him on a consistent basis, you're asking a guy that's essentially playing, you know, uh, you know, to use a metaphor, playing with one arm tied behind his back playing tennis. You know, you can play for so long, you can rally, but eventually somebody's going to outmatch you, outphysicate you. And, it seems like with Casey, the longer you put him out there, you're kind of increasing those odds of one of those kind of blow-up performances. And for it to happen against Detroit, I'd be hard-pressed to believe that inspires confidence against a 13th-place team in the East. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's – I don't know how Mike Sullivan – and I don't know if you've got any insight on this or not – how Mike Sullivan will arrive at the decision on who to start in Game 1 against Boston. It may just come down to Tristan Jari not being close enough to go at that point in time that they can't go with Jari. Right. Uh, I would imagine, give him a couple more weeks, he should be back to 100%. But, you know, I thought it laid out nicely. I said this to Eric earlier. I thought it laid out nicely that had they won in Detroit last night, DeSmith could have started Thursday against Nashville. Hope you get a W there, at least a quality game out of Casey. And then that sets up to give him a crack at Boston on Saturday and see how he responds to that test. Now, again, they may not have any option because of Jari's health that he has to go against Nashville and Boston. But I thought at the very least, it would be good to get him playing well and consistently well 
going into Boston on Saturday or into that game against the Boston Bruins, I should say, on Saturday at PPG. Uh, but now it's just it, – it's a total crapshoot, it seems, with not just both of these goalies, but the team as a whole. Yeah, you got eight games to figure out exactly what you want to do. And like you said there, Chris, I mean, it would have made perfect sense to go with a plan like that. But right now here, if Tristan's healthy, you got to turn to him. You got to see what you have. You've got eight games. And I think this stretch, like you mentioned, where you got Nashville and then you got Boston, you throw Jari back in there for probably on Thursday. I got to believe that he gets the next one. I can't believe they'll put Casey in there after, you know, stopping 75% of the shots he faces. If Jari's, if Jari's good to go, he's in that. Um and then from there, you're pretty much getting your answer and going, well, if he's not up to snuff, then we have to ride with Casey. And you really don't have much of a choice, which, you know, feels dramatic to say, but there's not a lot of runway left. There's eight games, right. playoffs start in two weeks. Like, <laughs> you don't really have time to mess around with this stuff. And it's not like whatever injury that Tristan's dealing with, which Sullivan said is a new one, not a re-aggravated one. I mean... Yeah, it, it feels like you just don't have time to hope for that to rehab itself. But he's dressed, so what do I know? <laughs> well, it, it, it's just it, it's crazy to me that we're talking about a team with this many veterans on it. And I talked about the leadership quotient with Eric Tangrady earlier, but just this much experience, physical experience on the ice, this many cup rings on the roster, and they've played 74 games and we still don't know what they are. So I don't suspect, and I think a lot of us, myself included probably as fans, need to just come to a reckoning that we're not going to know what they are before game one of the playoffs, regardless of whether it's against Boston or Carolina or New Jersey, whoever it may be, we have no idea what we're going to get come game one. Yeah. And the only conclusions that you really can draw between now and then is that this is a team that has, you know, banged up defensemen in front of it. The ones that are healthy are not the ones that you would call your prime guys besides maybe Latang playing the way he has this season. I mean, the loss of Marcus Pedersen has been, devastating for the defense they were able to weather it for a little bit there but I mean you, you look at the game yesterday having Mark Friedman out there in the first period two penalties right. one of them directly leads to a power play goal the penalty kill continues to struggle the power play got two goals yesterday but I mean that's wildly benefiting from a five on three for the pen so special teams defense uh kind of important things come playoff time and I <laughs> had to have to believe that that will come back to bite them come game one against Boston if they even get there which is right. not a certainty which, right now which is not guaranteed you're right and I'm glad you brought up the physical fragility of this team right now because look I you are learning right now at the foot of the great Matt Vensel right you two are double teaming this Penguins beat yep. and you mentioned it a little a couple minutes ago you're fresh out of Penn State um, you know, it feels like you were just walking the halls of Carnegie or maybe Schwab Auditorium or at Beaver Stadium. The, the Daily Collegian looks at you and says, Andrew, show us how it's done. And you're learning from Venzel. This is how it's done. Venzel is one of the most measured men on the planet. One of the most journalistically in, integral, integral, in, integral. Yeah. Integral. Thank yeah. you. That's the word I'm looking at. This is why. That's why I met Vensel. Yeah. This is why you succeeded at the Collegian when I did not. Um, <laughs> so this, it, my point is, if I asked him this question, I know exactly what he'd tell me. And politically correct is a bad term to use. People look at it in a bad way, but Matt would give me the politically correct journalistic answer. I'm going to ask you, you're around them every day or most days. Is this team acting like a mentally or psychologically fragile team I've heard Josh Yoey ask Sidney Crosby about that earlier this year and he kind of he didn't dance around the answer he answered it pretty directly and, and said he didn't think so but when you see them blow another opportunity like they had in Detroit Tuesday night 
again, you're around them a good bit. Are they acting like a forget physically fragile? You outlined that, especially on the blue line. Are they acting like a mentally and psychologically fragile team? No, I would say I kind of side with Josh on that one because I think that the it's more so a frustration that continues to mount, but it hasn't boiled over in any way that's unprofessional. Um, You know, when you go inside the dressing room, it's guys who are frustrated with their own individual performances, but nobody is at any point a throwing people under the bus. Um, be lashing out in any regard, which maybe we're not privy to because we're getting into the dressing room a couple minutes after. Um, but from a professionalism standpoint, I haven't noticed anything that would be of the contrary. It's a team that is wildly upset with its performances, but not in a way that is, uh, I guess, showing fragility. Because I think there's still that underlying confidence of, we've done this 16 years in a row. We've made the playoffs every year since Sid was a rookie. Um, you know, I, I don't think that true, true panic has set in and it really hasn't at any point this season, which to me, I mean, as an outsider, just coming in as the first year on the beat has been surprising at times. Um, but it's definitely been, a, you know, a cool, cu- quiet confidence that when the highs are high, they show it, but it's not mm-hmm. to a way that's overbearing because it seems like, you know, they've been there, done that. Don't let the highs get too high. Don't let the lows get too low. Well, well, let me ask you this, because I, I came to the conclusion that I think their head coach may see a little mental fragility there uh, probably like a week and a half ago. Maybe it was the loss to Ottawa. Maybe it was the loss to Montreal. A lot of them have stacked up recently that have been disappointing. Right. Um, and he does. He almost never calls this team out. He just says, hey, total team effort. You know, it's standard Mike Sullivan lines. Yep. And my feeling is that if – and I think Mike Sullivan's fairly secure in his job. Even if they miss the playoffs, I don't think Mike Sullivan's going anywhere. I think Sidney Crosby wants him in his role. Sidney Crosby, let's be honest, is probably the most powerful person down on Fifth Avenue outside of anybody that works directly for Fenway Sports Group. Um, he may even be more powerful than some of those people inside this organization. So if Sid wants Mike Sullivan to stay, Mike Sullivan's going to stay. All that being said, if anybody wanted to call out this team, much the way Rick Bonus called out the Jets after their loss to the Sharks on Tuesday night, I don't know Great if you game. got to hear that. Um, I was watching all the way. Big yeah. Sharks fan over here. Oh, that's true. From the <laughs> Bay Area, right? Um, so if if Mike Sullivan called out his team the way Rick Bonus called out the Jets, who are in a very similar situation, eighth place in the Western Conference, struggling to hold on to that spot, they can feel it slip sliding away. They can feel like maybe the core gets busted up after this year if they don't get into the playoffs. If Bonus can do that, why can't Mike Sullivan do that? Yeah, it's an interesting question because the logical answer for me would be, you know, of course, go at it. But I think there's, mm-hmm. I think there comes some runway with Stanley Cup uh, championships. I think that's part of it is when you've actually experienced success. And that's not to put down the Winnipeg Jets franchise, but I mean, there's a reason they moved from Atlanta. There's a reason that they are where they are. It's it's a franchise that hasn't had a lot of success since it came in as an expansion one. And I think there's something to be said about that when the top guys especially are the ones that are succeeding at the level that they are, right? I think, you know, you and I would agree that, you know, Crosby is still exceeding expectations at this level in his career. Malkin Absolutely. is still playing excellent hockey. Let's hang for the most part, given everything that's happened this season. Those are the guys that if you were going to dish out criticism to anybody – right? It would be your lead guys because they're the ones who can handle it. They're being paid as such, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But it, fe- it feels trivial to pin it on the guys who are either, you know, on those minimum contracts, the guys who are on two ways. And those are the ones who are really deserving of the blame in addition right. to, you know, whoever's between the pipes. Um, so I, I think that's maybe why you haven't seen it is just because 
the logical faces who could absolve that kind of blame and be the ones who can take it from Sullivan and then be on the receiving end of it in the dressing room. They're maybe not the guys who are deserving of it. It's more so in other regards and so, you know, to maybe your more veteran guys like a Jeff Carter, who's not in the dressing room. And at his point, to his uh, credit, given what he did in Los Angeles, that's another reason why he's maybe earned that. It's just, it's different with a veteran-laden group the way that it is there, I'd say. Andrew, let me ask you this. Uh, we saw Ricard Raquel a couple times in the last, I want to say week and a half, two weeks, get some time on the third line. And, and it wasn't necessarily a demotion. It was more like a promotion for the guys on the third line, right? They got an opportunity to play with Raquel, who's been huge for this team this year. I would argue Ricard Raquel and Jason Zucker, without those two, I don't know where they'd be. Um, but it was only, I want to say, about two minutes, two minutes of even strength time that Raquel played with Paling and Heinen, a trio that looked really good against the Caps on Saturday night, I thought. Yeah. And then Mike Sullivan, who was even asked about it pregame by Dan Potash from AT&T and intimated that he was going to continue with that rotation, got away from it very quickly. We've seen him very quickly over the years go back to the comfortable line combinations, even when things aren't going well with those combinations. You know, last night, Gensel Crosby Rust didn't exactly bathe themselves in glory. All the puck possession metrics show that they got outplayed. Same could be said for Zucker, Malkin, and Raquel when those three were together. And yet here we are watching Heinen and Paling with Granlund instead. Um, do you get the sense that Mike Sullivan is ready to juggle the lines as much as he may have to to get the sparks necessary come playoff time? You know, if he's four minutes in, two shifts each line into game one against the Bruins and they're getting dominated. Is he going to be willing to pull that trigger and start shuffling things around? Or is he going to wait until game two? No, I think he's going to be pretty quick with the trigger. And I, I bring that up just because in New York, I think it was either after the first Rangers game on the off day practice, or it might've been pregame before one of the Rangers games, but he had mentioned how he, cause he was discussing when Alex Nylander was inserted into the lineup, um, how he was shuffling that up and had Raquel back down on the third line and had bumped up Nylander, I think it was, to the second unit um, when Heinen was a healthy scratch. And it was the similar idea was that, you know, he's willing to move these guys around and it's all because you're either stacking that top six or you're trying to balance it out and spread it. And when it becomes playoff time, you know, I'm curious what the strategy is there from him because you, you said it best. I mean, Raquel and Zucker have been two huge guys this year. And personally, I have my preference would be to move Raquel down to that third unit because I don't think Grandland is that guy who can provide a spark for the third line that makes it adequate or makes it you know usable enough that you can deploy it for 15 minutes come playoff right. time. Right. So I, I think we're going to see that quick trigger because the value of a guy like Raquel, the value of these guys, um, you know, you have to be able to move them down and generate any kind of spark because – if it's just your top six, that's not going to be enough to get it done against the Bruins team. That I mean, we all know how good they are defensively. What did Alex Nylander do, by the way? Did he like take draw cartoons of Ron Hextall and Mike Sullivan with the evil curly mustaches on them and post them all over PPG Paints Arena or uh, at the Lemieux Complex? The guy can't stay in the. Now I know there were cap concerns earlier, and he was called up due to injuries and emergency recall a couple of times, but. Now, if ever there is a time to get him back in the lineup, n now is that time. You talk about moving Raquel to the third line, and maybe Granlin plays down on the fourth line with Carter, and you get Nylander playing with Zucker and Malkin. I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I wouldn't even mind seeing him on the top line with Gensel and Crosby and slide Rust back down with Malkin or down to the third line. There's a million different combinations on that right side. 
but Neilander, I think, is a big key to unlocking a lot for Mike Sullivan. They just don't seem ready to do it. Yeah, the same way that Matt's a big fan of Teddy Bluger. I'm a huge proponent of uh, Alex Neilander. I mean, I chatted with him in Wilkes-Barre end of January, and you know, I've always been impressed by his game and think that there's a lot there for him to unlock. And like the little cup of coffee we saw from him when he was with Malkin and Zucker, I mean, had nothing really to show in terms of goals, but generated chances, showed mm-hmm. an offensive prowess, and would have liked to see him get a little bit more runway there. But I think uh, the reason maybe we're not seeing him, uh, you know, I think it might have to deal with the fact that, you know, more of a younger guy versus a Danton Heinen, who's a little bit more veteran as we get closer to playoff time. That's probably why this is happening. Maybe not a decision that I particularly agree with, but if there was any logic behind it, I think that would be it is that playoff time, maybe Nylander isn't as trustworthy of a guy, um, you know, hard on pucks as maybe Heinen would be, which, uh, you know, I can't point to any concrete evidence that would prove that, but that's just speculation. All right. Before I let you run, Andrew, we mentioned at the top, you are a 2022 graduate of dear old state, Penn State University. I am a swallows hard 2002 graduate of dear old state, Penn State University. Um, and so I'm going to throw some items at you from State College that I remember dearly. And you, you have one job. Tell me if you have any idea what I'm talking about with each of these things. And if they still exist, I went up 2021 for homecoming, took the kids, went to that awful five overtime game against Illinois, stood out in the cold drizzle for uh, six hours or whatever it was while that game, that game was interminably long, but had a great time because we ate at the corner room, walked outside and saw the parade and the kids had a great time. Anyway, um, I'm going to list some things. You tell me if these register with your Penn state brain at all, or they're just things that Chris remembers from being old in state college 20 years ago. You ready? I'll preface with saying both my parents went to Penn state. So might, okay. might have an advantage here. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, let's start with $2 Amber box at the sports calf. Ooh, can't say it now. Oh man. That was my spot. One of my roommates was a bar back and bouncer there. Spent my 21st birthday there. I think. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> the old creamery at the corner of curtain and shortledge. Yes, now changed into a new building. Can't remember the name of it, but that's... The Berkey uh, Creamery now, yeah. Yeah, Berkey Creamery now. locked down. Yeah, moved it over to East Halls, and the old spot is just south of North Halls, right across there is where the old spot was. Well, see, as a freshman, somehow, I don't know why, I got sent off to North Halls. I didn't get to hang out with all the other freshmen in East, and so the Creamery was right there, and the freshman 15, bang, (laughs) I think happened in like a month. Um, cause I was always there. Um, and now it's down where like the tennis courts used to be. I took tennis one summer as a class. I don't know how I got away with that. It was a credit credit and a half of gloriousness. Uh, right. I met a girl named Donna. She was awesome. Uh, we went out on some air quote dates. Hopefully my wife doesn't watch this episode of the podcast anyway. All right. I'll move on to the next item, Andrew downtown Chili's on Allen street. Oh, that is now uh champs down- yes. Chili's has become champs. Yes. Uh, but margar- margaritas and the big mugs and bottomless chips back in the day, man. It was, a, it was a decent, decently priced place to take a date and feel somewhat fancy. Um, right. All right. Um, the Willard Preacher. Oh, still around. Still there. Still man- meanders around those halls right in front, red hoodie and everything. Still has the red hoodie. That's amazing. <laughs> all right. Um, Yield College Diner. Grilled stickies at Yield College Diner. 
no longer exists, but every time I fly home back to California, I bring a sticky with me. They still sell them. Nice. Got to bring them back for mom and dad. Yeah, that's a good call. Look, Pittsburgh people love grilled stickies from Eaton Park, and they're good. They're not quite the same, just a little different at Ye Old College Diner. All right, um, the G-Man, Gingerbread Man. Uh, now where Primanis is. I know. Now- Never been to either, though. Never did the Primanis in State College. I was like, it's too far from Pittsburgh. It can't be authentic. That's, you know, I have found, don't tell the people at Primanis this, because I tweeted this one time and they got mad at me. When you get outside of Western PA, the bread is not the same. It's not Mancini's. So it's like somebody took a picture of their Primanis in Indianapolis once and sent it to me. And it just looked like two slices of Wonder Bread with all the same stuff in the middle, but it just, the bread wasn't right. Okay. Um... Let's see. What, oh, okay. No 322 bypass or I-99. Ooh, that's a new one to me. Didn't know that one. That was a thing, my friend. You would get stuck behind a tractor trailer on 22, going up and down those hills out there in Indiana County and Cambria County, and you had no hope. That's why it always took at least three hours. All right, unless you drove in the middle of the night. Um, old man story time now. All right, Andrew, just a couple more for you. Uh, the crowbar. No, nothing. No. Uh, it was right down on college, past McClanahan's. Uh, if you're going out towards the stadium, about a block past McClanahan's. Live bands would come through all the time. I saw another another old man. God, I am dating myself so much. I saw Days of the New at which 90s grunge rock band. You can look it up later and be disgusted by the fact that I paid money to go to the show. But I, I saw Days of the New at Crowbar once down on College Ave. Okay, uh, just a couple more. Acme pizza. No, nothing. Okay. Acme was the original, I say original for a kid from the 90s. The original 2 a.m. drunk stumbling on my way home down Beaver Ave across from Cedar Brook pizza spot. It's now Canyon Pizza, or it was Canyon Pizza for a long time, um, where I once got Bad Ranch and felt it for the next 24 hours. But it used to be Acme pizza back in the day. It was just a window. You would walk up to it. You'd hand them $2, you'd get a slice, and you'd just stand there, and the grease would drip down your chin while people yelled at you from the balconies at Cedar Brook. It was, it was lovely. Well, and, that part uh, hasn't changed with the balconies. <laughs> albeit new, new pizza establishment, obviously much different, yeah. but the concept remains. The pinnacle of, of my experience on the Cedar Brook balconies was one summer, was it summer or Arts Fest? I can't remember. But there was a riot uh, on Beaver Ave, uh, and they had to bring in the mounted police, uh, and they started firing pepper spray on people. And we were having a party on like the eighth floor of Cedar Brook. And we didn't realize they'd, they'd fired pepper spray on people until we started to smell it. We had to run inside and close the balcony door. So ah, state college stories, Andrew. Yeah. I, I feel bad. You may not have gotten the full experience, my friend. Yeah, had a heck of a one out there, but COVID did rob me of a full year. So that's he definitely true. got me beat on the Penn State experience. You, that's right. You guys did not get to experience. Oh, man, that's rough. I, well, I didn't even have a 21st birthday in State College right in the middle oh of COVID. Oh, God, Andrew. We, you know what? You will have to – we will have to get you back up there sometime. We will have to convene everybody and get you a, a, a 21st birthday State College style, just stumbling down Beaver in, into – have they brought the Skeller back yet? They need to do that. We'll, we'll stumble into the Skeller and get you some pony bottles and, and tr- do it upright. They do have the ponies now. New name uh, called Doggy's Pub, but it's like okay. the exact same thing, outdoor and everything. It's awesome. That was my spot in college. Okay, nice. All right, so sometimes things change. Sometimes they stay the same and they just, well, change the name. 
Andrew, seriously, it was fun to- uh, talking to you about, well, obviously old Penn State stuff, but fun talking to you about where this team is right now. We'll see where it goes over the next eight games and whether they actually force their way into the playoffs or not, and if they do, how far they go. But you're doing a great job covering the team. We appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Chris. Pleasure's mine. Great stuff from Andrew. Uh, he gets a little bit extra love because he's a Penn State guy. I only lasted a semester at the Daily Collegian, by the way. He's like a proud Daily Collegian collegian alum uh that's the newspaper at penn state they made me go cover uh a women's tennis match that took six hours and write a story about running shoes i had to go to the local shoe store and do research and that's when i decided newspaper wasn't for me print journalism wasn't for your old buddy mackie and that's when i went to the radio station and here i am now anyway thanks again to andrew thanks to eric tangrady uh friday we will have another new episode up And in addition to Tango hopping back on for a couple minutes, Ray Ferraro of ESPN as the Pens do play the Bruins this weekend uh, on ESPN and ABC. So uh, we'll talk to Chicken Farm on Friday uh, about what he thinks of this team down the stretch run. They will have played the Predators between now and then uh, and hopefully gotten themselves a win because if they don't, they are in big trouble. And... uh, it was, it was this close, this close to putting themselves in a good spot. But again, like we talked about earlier with Eric, you can't even use the word opportunity with this team anymore. You have an opportunity, though. Segway. Follow Fifth Avenue Faceoff inside your Odyssey app. Just up in the upper right-hand corner, just, just bing, tap. Uh, if you're watching it on YouTube, down below here, there are options to subscribe. You'll get all the wonderful video content from 93.7 The Fan, uh, including new episodes of Fifth Avenue Faceoff. How about that? Wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, uh, I, wherever, subscribe, leave a rating, preferably a positive one, and a flowery review. You could even write something. I'll give it to you. Are you ready? Chris Mack is so handsome and intelligent. I really appreciate his insight on the Penguins. Bang. Done. And they don't know that you're lying. It, it, it'll be fine. Anyway, uh, subscribe, rate, review. Uh, and hang with us uh, through what may be the final two weeks of the season for the Penguins. Who knows? Uh, Or maybe just the precursor to getting swept by the Bruins. We'll find out soon enough. Uh, Because you can't predict anything with this team. What you can't predict, again, another new episode on Friday of Fifth Avenue Faceoff.